Preview Christian Church, again, we're glad you've chosen to worship here with us this morning. Last week, in our sermon series through the book of Daniel, we looked at chapter 2. And in that chapter of Daniel, we saw Daniel put to good use the gift that God gave him. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has a terrible, confusing, frightening dream. And none of his Babylonian wise men can explain it. But then, just at the right time... God provides Daniel with the answer. Daniel interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar that one day his kingdom will crumble. It will fall down along with other earthly kingdoms after it. Because only God's kingdom is permanent. After hearing the interpretation, Nebuchadnezzar praises God. He rewards Daniel. He promotes his three friends to positions of power and authority. Things are going pretty well. But then in chapter 3, we see the good relationship that these four faithful men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the good relationship they have with King Nebuchadnezzar starts to unravel. Because right after Nebuchadnezzar spends time praising and glorifying God, he goes and builds an image for himself. He demands that all people worship the image when music is played Or else be thrown into a fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse. And thus, they're cast into the furnace. But then again, just at the right time, God comes through. He saves the three men from death just like they believed that he would. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar praises God. Again. Now, we came to an important yet simple conclusion from those two stories last week. And the conclusion was this. Earthly kingdoms like Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, they're not like God's kingdom. Those kingdoms rise and those kingdoms fall. And yet God's kingdom remains. And in light of that conclusion, there's an important question that we would all do well to ask ourselves today. Whose kingdom do we belong to? A kingdom like Nebuchadnezzar's? Or do we belong to God's kingdom in eternity? But we also left with another question that we haven't answered yet in the book of Daniel, and that's this. Will King Nebuchadnezzar ever really get it? He keeps going back and forth between one minute seeming to grasp the power and the glory of God, and then the next minute... Falling right back into his old, wicked, idolatrous ways. Is he ever really going to get it? Is it ever really going to sink in? That's where we pick back up today. We're going to discuss three chapters of Daniel, each revolving around a different earthly king. And these three chapters cover decades of captivity for Daniel. When our book starts, Daniel is a young man. By the end of chapter 6... Daniel's not a young man anymore. And throughout each chapter, throughout each king that we see this morning, God teaches us a different and valuable lesson about who he is. So with that, open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. If you're using one of our chair Bibles, this will be located on page 628. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to grab one from the welcome desk before you leave this morning. But before we read Daniel chapter 4... Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you that your kingdom remains. That in spite of what's happening in the earthly kingdoms around us, even in the earthly kingdom that we live in, 
your kingdom stays the same. Your kingdom isn't marked by big and impressive images where our worship is demanded, but rather your kingdom is shaped by a cross where the king himself died. And God, we're grateful for that. We're grateful that by your grace, we can be members of your kingdom. I pray that we would never forget that, that when we're discouraged, when we're down, when the storms of life come, that we would remember that we are members of your kingdom and citizens of your kingdom. God, thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, the king who died in our place, the king who is perfect, the king who is reigning, and the king who will one day return. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. Starting in Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So we start the chapter with King Nebuchadnezzar, our first king of the morning. And yet again, we see him praising God, worshiping God. Specifically, he wants to share the signs and wonders that God has done for him. He wants to share that God's kingdom is a kingdom that never falls, that his dominion endures forever. And in order to share that, in order to make that clear, Nebuchadnezzar is going to tell a story. We pick that up in verse four. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. But I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers came in and I told them the dream But they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw, and their interpretation." So, like earlier in the book, Daniel chapter 2, the story begins with Nebuchadnezzar having a bad dream. And just like last time, none of the Babylonians can help Nebuchadnezzar understand what the dream means. So, as you might expect, Nebuchadnezzar turns again to the one man who can help, and that man is Daniel. In verses 10 through 18, Daniel is able to describe the dream. In his dream, Nebuchadnezzar saw a large and strong and impressive tree, the greatest tree you or I could ever imagine. But then an angel demands that the tree be chopped down, leaving nothing behind but a stump in the ground. The angel then declares that the tree, or rather who it represents, will be chopped down and humbled by God. That person will lose their mind. That person will live like an animal in the wilderness. Verse 17 says that all of this will happen in order that the living may know who the real king is. 
This is going to happen to this person so that everyone who sees it will know that there's really only one true king. And that king doesn't dwell in Babylon. That king dwells in heaven. We pick up in verse 22 of Daniel 4. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. So even though Daniel is rightly concerned about how Nebuchadnezzar will react, the interpretation isn't exactly flattering. Daniel makes the meaning very, very clear. That great and powerful tree in the dream, that tree is Nebuchadnezzar himself. He's the one who'll be torn down and humiliated in order that every single person will be reminded that there is really only one true king in heaven. Sure enough, in verses 28 through 33, the dream comes true. One day, as Nebuchadnezzar is reflecting on his greatness, his power, his glory, the kingdom he has built as he walks on the roof of his palace, everything comes crashing down. He loses his mind, and along with it, his authority and his rule. But after a time of suffering, Nebuchadnezzar appears to learn his lesson. Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He lifts his eyes to heaven and his power and authority are restored. Now, again, that begs the question that we started asking last week. Does Nebuchadnezzar ever really, truly get it? After all, he's done this before. He's learned a hard lesson. He's seen a miraculous work of God. He's worshipped God for it. And then just returned to his old ways right when it's all over. Does he get it this time? Does the lesson stick? The truth is that we don't really know. This is basically the last we hear of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. Now. Have you ever experienced something similar to what Nebuchadnezzar went through? An experience where you are humbled more than you ever thought you could be. Where you are chopped down. Everything seems to be going really, really well. And then it all falls apart. At the time, it's certainly painful. At the time, it's humiliating. And yet, when it's all said and done... For Nebuchadnezzar, he's glad God made it happen. He wants to tell people the story. 
He considers it a sign and a wonder that God brought this upon him. Now, again, we don't know for sure whether or not this time the lesson truly stuck with King Nebuchadnezzar. But hopefully when we experience humbling times, times of pain and times of suffering, when we have to learn a similar lesson and those times are inevitable, perhaps we can look at that suffering and we can look at that humiliation, not as pointless, but rather as a lesson from God that can humble us, that can teach us, that can mature us and make us more dependent upon him. May we look at the lesson perhaps the same way that Nebuchadnezzar did when it's all said and done, praising God that it happened. Let's move to Daniel chapter five, verses one through nine, our second king of the morning. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. So we pick up in chapter five, we see a new king, Belshazzar, not to be confused with Belshazzar, that's Daniel's Babylonian name, but Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son. And very early on, we learn that Belshazzar is not the most reverent guy in the world. He treats the vessels of God's temple as nothing more than a fancy set of shot glasses. But as he's drinking, he sees a message from God. Written on the wall. And the same way that they couldn't interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, the Babylonians can't read Belshazzar's message. As a result, Belshazzar has no idea what to do, and the verses following, only after his wife suggests Daniel, do we see Daniel enter the picture to interpret the dream. In verses 13 through 21, Belshazzar offers to pay Daniel for his services, like he's just some kind of glorified handyman. But Daniel rejects the payment. You can almost sense that Daniel doesn't have the same respect for Belshazzar as he did for Nebuchadnezzar, his father. In fact, as Daniel begins interpreting, he reminds Belshazzar of what happened to his father. 
Nebuchadnezzar was prideful, arrogant, haughty, and God humbled him for it in a spectacular way. But you, Belshazzar, you're no Nebuchadnezzar. Look at Daniel 5, verses 22 and 23. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you, your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath. And whose are all your ways? You have not honored. Belshazzar, you knew what happened to your father. You knew that there is only one true God who sets up earthly rulers and tears down earthly rulers. You know that this God is the only reason you can even breathe right now. And yet you have utterly completely, undeniably rejected him. Daniel then explains that Belshazzar's reign is coming to an end at the hand of the Persians. We see more detail about the message itself in verses 26 through 28. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Those haunting words, you have been weighed and found wanting. Mene, Tekel, Parson. And when Belshazzar hears this, unlike his father, Nebuchadnezzar, he offers no response whatsoever. He forces his payment upon Daniel Daniel sends on his way, but Belshazzar doesn't humble himself. He doesn't glorify God the way Nebuchadnezzar would have. He doesn't repent. He doesn't praise. He just goes on about his business. And then we see verses 30 and 31. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 Years old. Two stories back to back of the one true king humbling arrogant earthly kings. One of the earthly kings responds positively, but the other is hardened and punished. If the story of Nebuchadnezzar tells us something about God's grace, the story of Belshazzar tells us something about God's judgment. We would also do well today to understand something about earthly kings that is made very clear in these chapters. Earthly kings are not as powerful as we sometimes believe they are. A bad earthly leader does not have the power to thwart the kingdom of God. Thus, the church and God's people should not panic. A good earthly leader does not have the power to offer something better than the kingdom of God. There are no messiahs when it comes to earthly kings. We would do well to never place all our hope in kings or rulers 
or leaders or politicians. Because in the big scheme of things, we only worship one true king. And only one true king deserves our honor and our praise. Daniel chapter 6, our third and final king of the morning, starting in verses 1 through 5. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. The third king is King Darius. And just like the other kings, Daniel continues to climb the ranks during his reign. Naturally, this makes other people around him jealous. So they start looking for some way to bring him down. Their conclusion is that the only way they can do that is to use his love for his God to their advantage. Use his faithfulness as a weapon against him. In the verses following, the plan is quite simple. Pass an irrevocable law that anyone who prays to any god but Darius for the next 30 days will be thrown in to a lion's den. Darius, somewhat unwittingly, rubber stamps the new law. And then we see verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So the first thing Daniel does when he hears of the new law, he breaks it. He's caught by his accusers who were just waiting to pounce. They triumphantly bring him to the king. They have to be thrilled because their plan worked so perfectly. Daniel finds himself in the same boat as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with the fiery furnace. This time around, Darius is distraught by the development that he really was complicit in. 
He tries to think of some way to get Daniel out of this mess, but it's too late for that. There's nothing he can do to help. It appears as though Daniel's faithfulness to God, which has saved him all those times before, well, it's finally backfired on him. Now his faithfulness is going to get him killed. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Daniel was thrown in to die. All Darius can do is wish him the best. A stone is rolled over the entrance. After all, you don't want to have another fiery furnace fiasco. There's no way out this time around. And on this night, another king in Babylon loses sleep. But this time, Daniel won't be around to help anytime soon. Darius rushes to the lion's den the next morning, expecting the worst. But again, you guessed it. Daniel is delivered. Verse 21. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted and his God. Daniel's accusers are brutally punished by Darius for their plot. And much like Nebuchadnezzar always did, Darius praises God after seeing this miraculous deliverance. Verse 26. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Three very different kings. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius. And yet God uses each of them to teach us something about who he is. In the case of Belshazzar, Daniel chapter 5, we learn that God opposes the proud. In the case of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 4, we learn that God gives grace to the humble. But what do we learn from Darius in chapter 6? Well, this one's just a little more complicated. But think about it this way. In chapter 6, does Daniel remind us of anyone from the Bible? The answer is yes. Two men, in fact. The first one is a man named Joseph in the book of Genesis. Both men are betrayed by others who are jealous. In Joseph's case, it was his own family. Both men are punished on trumped-up charges. In Joseph's case, it was when Potiphar's wife wrongly accused him of rape. Both men know what it's like to be abandoned in a pit. That's where Joseph's brothers threw him. And both men ascend the ranks in a foreign land through interpreting dreams. Daniel is a reminder to God's people 
weeping by the waters of Babylon, that God has been faithful in the past. And that if he was faithful to Joseph, he'll be faithful to them too. But Daniel also brings another man to mind, not earlier in the Bible, but much, much later. Like Daniel, Jesus is punished on trumped-up charges. Like Daniel, Jesus is thrown into a pit or a tomb with a stone rolled over the entrance to make sure he didn't get out. Like Daniel, Jesus is punished by a ruler who, deep down, knows he's innocent. Daniel not only looks back to Joseph and shows God's faithfulness in the past, but Daniel looks ahead and previews the ultimate showing of God's faithfulness on the cross. Okay, so what? Daniel previews Jesus, big deal. Well, let me remind you of a few words that Belshazzar saw written on the wall. Mene, tekel, parson. You have been weighed and found wanting. I bring that up because the same is true of you and the same is true of me. We have been weighed and we have been found wanting. We aren't good enough. We aren't righteous enough. We aren't charitable enough. We aren't moral enough to somehow deserve good standing with God in any way whatsoever. Because of our own sin, we deserve to be torn down like Nebuchadnezzar's powerful tree. We deserve to die like Belshazzar. We deserve to be thrown into a lion's den. And yet, God sent a man after Daniel. God sent a man who took our shame and took our humiliation. God sent a man who died in our place. God sent a man who was thrown into a tomb with a stone rolled over the entrance to ensure that he wasn't going anywhere. But that man still didn't stay there. We deserve to fall and die like wicked earthly kings. And yet we find hope. And yet we find deliverance in the one true king who died on the cross. Good earthly kings cannot secure our eternal salvation. Bad earthly kings cannot threaten our eternal salvation. God is the king who delivered Joseph. God is the king who delivered Daniel. God is the king who sent his son to die on a cross. And God is the king who delivered me and has delivered you. Like Nebuchadnezzar, may we lift our eyes to heaven. Some of us seeing for the very first time and others of us being reminded yet again that there is only one true king. And he doesn't sit on a throne in Babylon. He sits at the right hand of God. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that regardless of what the kings around us do, regardless of the kingdoms that rise and fall, we're members of your kingdom. That you are the true king. That you set up and you tear down earthly rulers. That your dominion will endure until the end. 
God, we're thankful that our king is so much unlike earthly kings. We're thankful that our king died on a cross, his body broken and his blood shed for people who didn't deserve it. Father, we're grateful that your grace and your mercy, your kindness, your love, your righteousness, your justice, they're all seen on a cross. They're not seen in images that kings construct. Those things aren't seen in the threat of a lion's den or the fear of a fiery furnace. We see all of those things at a cross. God, may we be people of the cross, regardless of what the kingdoms around us are doing. May we be faithful, like Daniel, even unto death, because we know that you are faithful even after our death. God, we love you, we praise you, we honor you. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, King Jesus. Amen.